everyone. Welcome to Manufacturing Hub with me, Dave, and this guy, Vlad. We are super thrilled to once again have Preston Hadley from Envision Automation um, on here. So this is episode 56. If you have not caught, caught Preston in the past, he is our first three-peat. So he was here at the way back in the beginning of episode six, I think he was sitting in a completely empty or nearly empty uh, brand new building. He was here talking with us on episode 15, where we announced kind of the first change. Well, I think his second change of life giveaway. Um, and then he and Vlad were putting some content out in addition to that. And now somehow we're to episode 56 and we have Preston again, um, I guess. But before we ask you, you any more questions, Preston, uh, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me, guys. It's a pleasure every single time. <laughs> Thank you, Preston. I was going to add on the second episode, I don't know if people remember, but he had a massive robot. It was like a yellow Fanuc robot that uh, by now is probably mm -hmm. moving, you know, cases, boxes, product in uh, some manufacturing facility. But uh, in any case, Preston, thank you again for joining us for the third time. Uh, I think maybe we'll skip the long form introduction, but we'd still like to know maybe for those who are joining us for the first time, what, uh, what are you doing? What are you involved in? How did you get into manufacturing? And uh, could you tell us a bit more about your company as well? Yeah, so Envision Automation and Controls is primarily a control system integrator. Uh, however, we do build uh, small automated pieces of equipment for our customers as well. Uh, but we travel the country uh, solving problems for our customers. Uh, we will come in and uh, swap out HMIs and PLCs that have been uh, outdated. We will come in and make program modifications and we'll design new tooling, new equipment and uh, start that up and commission it as well. Uh, we were founded in 2019 in Chandler, Indiana by myself. And uh, we've been running ever since. We're up to four employees now at this time. And uh, we're currently expanding into Kentucky as well as Tennessee markets. And um, we've got a pretty strong presence here in Indiana. So uh, we've got quite a bit of interesting and exciting things coming ahead of us this year in 2022. And I think our team is really excited for that as well. And you touched many different areas of automation. I think on the last episode, you know, obviously we just mentioned the robotics, but you also design panels, you build panels. We talked quite a mm -hmm. bit through, you know, like the AutoCAD design and how your team handles sort of the end-to-end -end integration and the modernization aspects of uh, manufacturing. And so this month, as uh, Dave has mentioned, we want to talk about modernization retrofits. Again, one word is slightly different than the other, but I think the premise is ultimately the same, right? And feel free to jump in on this on this definition, but ultimately we're trying to look at equipment that might be either obsolete or perhaps not performing as well we would like it to be. And so there comes a point where you need to make a call to modernize or again, retrofit your equipment for one reason or another to bring it up to speed and up to the standards. What are your thoughts on, on that, Preston? Perfect definition. Um, you know, it could be something as, as small as uh, swapping out an outdated component in a panel. Now, something as large as completely gutting an entire machine. You know, a great example, if you follow Bobby Cole with Think PLC, uh, they do a lot of retrofits and they post about their retrofits. Uh, he probably has some of the best, uh, you know, whole machine retrofit content that you could probably get on LinkedIn. Um, but again, it could be something as small as a component or something as large as an entire piece of equipment or an automated line. And we've done quite a bit of that. And it's, it's, uh, you know, when I think retrofit, I think of bringing something old, uh, replacing it, bringing it in, into the new standard, right? Something that's 
maybe got better features, uh, accessibility, uh, and, and, you know, more than likely probably a better ROI than uh, buying the used parts from eBay to replace it. And what's the, you know, the usual trigger that you see from like an end user standpoint, right? So it, let's maybe like role play a little bit, but I'm the engineering manager, let's say at a manufacturing facility. I have my engineering team that's either telling me, you know, some parts are maybe obsolete based on a vendor, or maybe they're telling me that the equipment is not performing because it's using, you know, 30 year old technology. Like what kind of situations are you seeing or what kind of events do you see leading to these retrofits? Yeah, so typically it could be a product failure, right? Um, hey, this one failed. We have no more of them on the shelf and uh, we can't get them from eBay. And especially right now, we can't order the, uh, you know, the mature product, uh, you know, if the, the you know, manufacturer even still makes it, right? So usually it's, hey, we physically have nothing to replace this with uh, of the same part number. So we have to be uh, forced to retrofit this to a newer part or system. Uh, and sometimes it's, hey, this thing is just a pain in the butt and it's hard to use. And the guy who knew how to use it left like 15 years ago, or maybe he left a week ago, right? And so we really need someone to come in here and replace this with something modern uh, that has uh, better user controls, something that anybody can walk up to and configure. And, That's and probably two of the most common. And do I guess like just trying to dig a little bit deeper into those causes, do you see it being more proactive or reactive in the sense that, you know, we've seen the part like not be available completely and now we have to call somebody in to figure out what mm -hmm. might be the solution? Or do you see manufacturers have some kind of a plan at which point, you know, they say, well, again, let's take like some Rockwell component that has, you know, like 10 year like lead time, they have different maturity stages and they could proactively in theory plan that, you know, three years before we need to find a replacement for which, again, like the OEM usually provides a uh, like a migration program. Um, mm -hmm. But do you see manufacturers kind of fall into the proactive side or more on the reactive side where they're kind of caught with their, I would say, like pants uh, down and sort of trying to find a solution today versus being more, uh, again, proactive about it? I think it's more proactive by far. Okay. Uh, by majority uh, reactive is never a good situation. You know, um, usually we'll get a call on a reactive situation like that. And okay. um, they're singing the blues. They're upset. Their line is down. Something's not working and they're, you know, they're losing valuable production time. Um, reactive is always better. And by far, that's probably the majority of cases we run into is reactive companies who want to make sure they're ahead of that curve. Even if it's by a few years or, you know, hey, we just got an alert yesterday. All of these products are now, uh, uh, you know, no longer supported, no longer manufactured. We need to immediately uh, start looking for a replacement now before they fail. So you could tow that line pretty close, um, but usually most of the reactive customers are, you know, at least a few years ahead. Yeah, again, I'm just trying to draw on my experience because I, I've seen kind of like both cases and it's certainly not the, mm -hmm. I would say not very, optimal to be again stuck not running your line because again you're losing a lot of money and uh, not being able yeah. or not having a plan i think is very detrimental to production but how again like let's say if you're approaching a customer that has maybe identified a certain need to replace how do you like an external i would say systems integrator or like consultant how do you approach that problem do you start by identifying What's obsolete? Do you start again, like auditing 
their bills of materials, do you go look at the equipment? I'm trying to figure out maybe the process a little bit better and what would help them figure out what needs to be replaced and what could be, you know, again, you could maybe separate certain components that could be left in and only modernize certain pieces versus just replacing the entire machine. So there's different options. What is your maybe yes. approach to that? Okay. Well, more often than not, we are not lucky enough to get a bill of materials, not lucky enough to get part numbers. We, we're lucky if we get access to the panel during production to get in there and get part numbers uh, of the specific components in question. So we normally get a call or get an inquiry um, and they say, listen, this component's either flickering or we got an alert that it's going to be discontinued soon. So typically uh, it's, it's on a component level, it's, it's pretty one by one. If a customer came and said, we have an entire machine, which has happened many times before, we'd like to reuse the machine and save a ton of money and just retrofit the control system and maybe freshen up the tooling, right? And in that case, we're going to go through, look at the existing system on it, document it, grab the part numbers off of it, and reverse engineer it to a new system standard. Uh, we'll, and we'll do that cross-platform between Rockwell, Siemens, Omron, whatever the customer spec is uh, that they're requiring. Uh, and if they're not requiring it, it might be Alan Bradley, it might be Siemens, uh, depends on the application. But that's that's typically how we approach a retrofit from a component level side, from an entire system uh, level. Yeah, I think that uh, that makes a lot of sense. And I guess maybe can you tell us some of the challenges again, because you have to probably research yourself, like what components make sense to replace. You have to go mm-hmm. through like an entire, I'm assuming like design phase at that point, if you're going to reverse engineer, you know, either a panel or a piece of machinery, and you have to figure out for yourself what needs to be put in and what makes sense today versus what it was 30 years ago. So like, what are maybe some pitfalls in the, in that process? Yeah. So some pitfalls are usually in the coding process for those kinds of projects. Um, you know, you go out there, you have a limited amount of time to review the machine. You make it prints. You might even be lucky if they can send you ladder diagram, uh, program backups, or maybe you could even hook up to the machine if it's modern enough and, and upload the program. Right. Um, but the pitfalls are definitely in trying to translate what's in front of your eyes um, efficiently and quickly enough to get a accurate quote out to your customer so that you can turn around and actually win the project and deliver on what that machine actually does. Um, because often, sorry, oftentimes you will find during the engineering phase of a project, you may run into a couple of hidden Easter eggs that you may not have seen just at the surface, right? Especially if you're not given any documentation, which is uh, pretty common uh, for most equipment that needs retrofitted uh, because it's decades old, right? Um, <clears throat> but uh, that's probably one of the biggest pitfalls is catching the little details before they sneak up on you. That's probably one of the biggest pitfalls. And that's very interesting. I guess I've usually had, I would say, like the luxury of having, you know, at least like ladder logic diagrams when I would convert a machine from, you know, a very old system to a, a more mm-hmm. recent controller. But uh, I can only imagine how much I would say like difficulty would be. You'd probably have to go and see the machine at least like I would need to see the machine in action so that I could determine what it's doing before I could convert, you know, the logic. But if it's completely down and you're having to figure out what uh, what the operation is, it must be really, really difficult. So I can certainly, you know, understand that. And you probably have to meet with the engineering manager or someone who really knows how it functions. It could even be like the operators, right? Because they've been probably running it for decades at the very least. So now that's, uh, I can only imagine how much of a challenge that would be. Dave, what are your thoughts maybe if you want to jump in? Yeah, so 
I've got a number of questions, Preston, but I think maybe the best continuation of that is, you know, there are Easter eggs on jobs and there are a number of ways that one can go through to protect themselves, right? Maybe they write like an ironclad scope and anything that is an ironclad scope, if it's not in scope, it's out of scope and it's a change order and we have to define some addition. And then I know some other people, and so, you know, in other businesses when it's not as quite of a competitive bid, it's like, hey, I know there are gonna be things that are beyond the scope. So I'm gonna put a percentage in of over scope and I'm not gonna charge them for a wire. I'm not gonna charge them for an extra relay or a fuse or something because that just, it takes more time than it's worth. What? How do you typically go about doing that uh, when you go work with customers? Well, thankfully, a lot of the projects that we've done, uh, we have had ironclad uh, scopes so that we know kind of walking out of there, uh, really a good tool would be to sit down and go, what is the written sequence of this machine? If we can't get programs, if we can't get prints, we're basically start uh, starting over from scratch, right? We're going to yep. build a brand new panel, rip the old one off. We're going to run a brand new program, all of that. Uh, well, then I'm going to go to the customer and say, let's put down a sequence, right? Yep. Let's write that down. How is this machine supposed to operate? Do you have a video of the machine that helps? Um, more often than not, uh, the little, uh, you know, I don't want to call them Easter eggs, but the little things, no, we, we don't change order that. Um, if there's something that was withheld or something that was, you know, that's major, a major Easter egg. Yeah. I mean, we, you're going to have to come back if it's pretty major, Right. Um, but more often than not, uh, knock on wood, of course, uh, most of the things that are missed in the process um, are usually pretty minuscule. Okay. No, that, that is good. I am, I'm, I'm happy to hear that. And I think that that, to Vlad's point, is important to make sure that you understand uh, kind of the scope. Do you, do you find that most customers that you're dealing with have well-documented machines and sequences of operations and videos and all of those things? Absolutely not. <laughs> okay. Because I was going to say, yeah, if those are not. your customers, I want to work with your customers a lot more than I work with my customers because those basically never exist uh, exist in my life. Uh, but uh, yeah. but th- that is that that is the difficult part. Yeah. And it, it's nothing against the customer. It You know, uh, documentation and mm-hmm. machinery itself changes hands so many times throughout its life cycle. You have, who knows how many maintenance people have been in the panel, who knows how many uh, outside contractors have came in and altered the program or oh, the panel. So, you know, by the end of it, you know, the, the customer is putting their trust in you to come in and, and bring this thing to the modern age. And you absolutely. do with that what you will with the information that you're given and really work as a team, right? You want to work together mm-hmm. with the customer. So we love taking walkthroughs with them and, and taking videos of it running, if it's still running and yep. talking to the head maintenance guy who's been there long enough to see it run and, he, and he'll, very clearly tell you this is what it's supposed to do. This is how it's supposed to act. Yep. Probably better than the manual can tell you sometimes. Oh, they're, yeah. they're, they know those things inside and out, right? They work on them yep. for a living. So that's honestly maintenance personnel and operators uh, is where we go first for all of our information. Um, you know, after we uh, get in contact with the customer, that's where we go first to get all of our important stuff. Absolutely. I would say from kind of mom and pop shops to Fortune 50 and nearly everyone in between, uh, I've run into very few companies that have good documentation, have good theory of operations, any of those. It it is a 
it is a major gap in our industry throughout the entirety of the industry. Uh, and then just one more follow-up. So when you're having these conversations with customers, uh, are you, are customers calling you? Are you cold calling customers? Are you like calling Vlad and saying, Hey Vlad, my name is Preston. I run a company called Envision Automation and Controls. We do retrofits or we do PLC code. Do you have any machines that are broken and need to be fixed? How do those conversations typically happen for you? Yeah, so so we do have uh, a network of sales reps. We do cold call on customers. Uh, we we try to call customers uh, within our network that we've either worked with before or customers that have been referred. Yep. Uh, we try not to pester people. I found out a long time ago, if you're the cold caller or the cold emailer, you may get the cold shoulder. Yep. Um, nobody wants that. And uh, um, hey, it, you might be a maintenance manager in that day. Let's say your current vendor you know, PO'd you for the last time and you're like, I'm done with them. Okay. Yep. Well, you might get a message from me saying, Hey, we'd like to help you out where we can on retrofits. So he might just be in the mood to, to be receptive. More often than not, it's probably going to piss him off whenever I send him an email, yep. uh, cold email him. So, um, you know, I just tried to avoid that business practice altogether. Uh, the sales reps that we have, uh, they tend to do a little bit of that. Uh, but typically it's within their network, people they've yeah. known for many years. And they, they've got a slew of contacts. Uh, the other way is we get a ton of people calling us. We do. Mm-hmm. We get great companies calling us saying, hey, we've seen you guys on LinkedIn. We understand uh, what you're about. We've heard a referral from another customer. Uh, we get a ton of that, really, probably more than you would imagine. And uh, more often than not, it's always a really good fit. Because the customers we do business with, uh, we treat them like family. We treat them like we would a team member here at Envision, and we work very closely with them. So referrals go a heck of a long way for our customers and for us. Absolutely. I I was going to say, you know, to that point, I think I I definitely agree on your point, you know, on the cold sales calls. But I would say also that in many instances, you know, having been in like an engineering capacity, there's just so many fires to put out that you don't have time to go and find someone who'd be able to take care of these like retrofits and just, you know, going and auditing systems and figuring out what needs to be done. So I think like a turnkey solution that could be, I I would say like succinct email summarizing what you can do, uh, at least like in the capacities that I've been working in would be like fairly welcome. Uh, Again, Mm -hmm. but I would agree maybe like directly calling and interrupting maybe the workflow would be a, a different situation. But I, I would say, again, there it's hard to find people who can do this type of work on like the technical side and do it right. And I think, again, like going back to your point, even on the documentation side, I think a lot of times people have really good intentions, but over time that machine gets modified, things get added, and no one truly knows if it's even operating per the manual that was given to the facility, you know, 30 years. So that all, all falls back into... Um, kind of being able to figure it out. And I think it's very, uh, it requires a good skill set. I, I, I would put it that way. Yes. So I would not uh, discredit the maybe cold emails um, on that last note, Preston. Well, I, I, de- I definitely wouldn't discredit it. And I sure as heck wouldn't uh, you know disregard it or, or have anybody uh, do otherwise. But I will say that from the internal data that we have, it's not really ever worked for us. Uh, that's just the data that we have. We we find much more success by putting out content uh, and, and um, you know interacting with people on social media, primarily LinkedIn, and uh, it's it's worked out well in Envision's favor. Uh, you know because I think they get a firsthand look 
at what we do and how we do it, how we interact with the community. And uh, that probably goes, you know, I mean, that's like looking at a resume in real time. Uh, if you were to look at somebody's LinkedIn over the last three years, that would give you an idea of how they are, how they interact, the work that they do. If you were to read their resume, they may have had the resume written by a professional writer uh, who, you know, maybe glossed it up a bit. So what would I rather see? I'd rather see the, the last three years of LinkedIn. It gives me a much better indicator of the person that I'm dealing with. And that's, in my opinion, that's it's the same that goes for companies, right? When we're looking at companies that we do business with, other vendors, uh, and even customers. We look at their LinkedIn. We want to see what they're about, what they make, you know, what their mission is, what what their culture is. That goes a long way. And so it's easier for me to connect uh, when I can see that kind of stuff, right? Versus just the cold email. So when we send cold emails, it just did not have the same uh, resonance as social media. No, absolutely. And I would say to that point, Preston, I've had a number of people, especially smaller groups starting out wanting to do marketing. And a lot of them have said something to the effect of, hey, I've seen what Preston has been doing. You know, I want to do more like that. And, you know, there's always the question as to, you know, how well does that work? And kind of to your original point, you you from you being in a uh, uh, sedan and then you bought the uh, then you bought the van then you built the building and now you guys have three or four employees i i think it kind of proves that it works and it seems like you guys do more than well enough well enough of a job that uh, your customers continue to come back for more which is the uh, which i think is the, the biggest compliment anyone can possibly get oh yeah oh yeah for sure Preston, we have a question from Alicia Gilpin in our LinkedIn chat. And I want to, I guess, tie that into my own question, build up on it a little bit. So she's asking if you've ever rebuilt something with burner controllers inside. But, uh, I, I, you know, I want to touch on the topic of maybe safety a little bit too, because I think rebuilding or modernizing equipment that has, I would say, different standards of safety 30 years ago going to today is probably a unique challenge in itself. So maybe not necessarily always with just the burners, but in general, like what are your perspectives on safety? Do you usually, when you touch a piece of equipment, you have to modernize some of the safety components? Do you, you know, consult the, maybe the owners of that equipment on that? Like what are your thoughts on, uh, on safety and modernization in general? Yeah. Uh, number one, no, we've not done anything with burner controls. We don't do a whole heck of a lot of that. Uh, we've worked on equipment with that, but we don't do a lot of that. Um, number two, uh, to address your question about safety, my policy is if we're going to completely retrofit the equipment and if we're even remotely touching the safety system, we are redoing the safety system and we're redoing it to a modern standard that matches the risk ass assessment of that machine. And the customer will often come back and this has happened. Well, we only really need this on there. Okay. But they may not know better. Okay. It's just a simple fact. Uh, it, it's not that they're wrong. It's just that they may not know better. So uh, from a liability standpoint, Envision is going to bring that safety system up to a standard that makes sense for the application because we want to walk away from it knowing that nobody's going to be injured and they are going to want to make sure nobody gets injured, whether they want to pay for it or not, is a whole other thing. So uh, we go out of our way to, to bring really robust safety solutions without, you know, breaking the bank, so to speak, uh, for the customer. And 
if uh, you know, we've ran into a few instances on quotes where customers says, we don't want to pay for that safety uh, addition um, and we cannot come to a conclusion. Uh, well, okay, well, we're, we're just going to have to decline it because we can't in good conscience do that job without bringing that safety standard up. And, and again, it's also from a liability standpoint too, right? We, you know, we touch it, it's ours. Yep. It's a very important like discussion topic. I know that me and Dave kind of discussed the idea of doing an entire segment on safety, but I think, you know, talking with retrofits specifically, again, you had very different laws and regulations like 30, 40 years ago. So equipment is going to be very, very different today coming onto the manufacturing floor. And again, I, I'm certainly not a lawyer from that standpoint, but I could see how yeah. it's either you're liable once you put in the equipment, but also if the manufacturer alters your safety circuit once it's been deployed and kind of sign off on, becomes mm-hmm. essentially liable, right? And, I, and I've seen instances too where they would receive a piece of machinery. And as you said, maybe for not knowing any better or not wanting to have these like safety features that require, again, like a full lockout, reset, and then you know, putting the machine back to run, they would simply bypass uh, some of those systems. So I, again, I, I think there's a lot of kind of like gray areas like that, but it's it's good to have a company policy that once you deploy, it's going to be our standard. And if, you know, obviously you can't stop them modifying once the door is kind of closed, but it's it's really up yeah. to them at that point. But no, it's I appreciate that, Preston. Well, and I kind of want to touch on that just a little bit. Something you mentioned, uh, the alteration of a safety system after it's put in by a company like ours. Um, so everything that we've ever done, we've done electrical drawings on. Everything that we've ever done has been documented. Um, and that documentation is uh, available for the life of Envision, really. Like, it, it, you know, they can call us. They can get it through other means. I, I won't go into great details. Some of that's proprietary. But they can basically get the documentation as they need it on the fly. So basically there's no need for them to, to alter the machine or alter the safety circuit. But if they do, uh, and we go back and we know that we could at least compare and say, well, we know it was changed, uh, but it wasn't changed by us because we designed it and installed it this way. And again, that just kind of helps keep Envision safe uh, from any kind of liable. And uh, you know, it, it really keeps the customer safe because you never really know who's in your panel out on the floor in some of these larger plants who might be, you know, an outside electrical contractor could change it, right? And you might get a call from the customer, hey, did you guys change this? No, we didn't. Well, it's different from the print. Well, we need to get it wired back to the print. So either we'll work with your internal maintenance group to make sure that happens or we'll, we'll come in and do it ourselves. Yeah, and it's not and easy. And I, I will say, yeah, I was going to say, so I will say to that point, Preston, a lot of, especially electricians that I talk to, uh, you know, that is one of their biggest pet peeves, right? It's the, yeah. we've done modifications, we, we've made changes, we don't do it to standard. The print read, you know, 1996, and I know for a fact that we've been in here four times a year, for every year since 1996. Yeah. So I, I would say that that is, that is a big frustrating factor, and just having good prints will significantly reduce the time it takes to go troubleshoot and bring a machine up and running when uh, oh, yeah. when it goes down. So I, I feel like that is probably a, especially if you guys are going in and completely redoing systems, it's probably just a tiny bit of time for you. And it completely covers yourselves because someone signs off as to, you know, spec as drawn, and this is what we delivered. And you know, if it's been changed, it's been changed from someone else. And 
plus you've got prints from this millennia, which is always a positive. Yeah, uh, you know, a, a recent application, um, you know, there was an entire plant. They had us come in and bring in some safety IO, HMI, some scanners and things like that. Um, <clears throat> they had drawings. Thankfully, they had drawings. Yep. Uh, we could have got it done without it. It was no big deal. But they had drawings, but they didn't have them in a DWG format. They just had them plotted out and sitting in mm -hmm. a filing cabinet, which is about 99% better than what I'm normally getting. Yes. So, um, but what was nice was, you know, and it depends on the application. Um, but in that, in that case, we didn't have DWGs. Well, we could redline it in their existing draw, drawing set. That's fine. Uh, that's, that's totally fine. But what we did in that instance is we actually did a brand new drawing set for the things that we added. Okay. And we referenced their drawing set in ours. And then we plotted that off and put it within their drawing set with that, with that index. Uh, and what that does, that gives them, you know, our, up, you know, our, sorry, our up-to-date drawing set in a modern format. Um, and it's, you know, externally referenced to their physical drawings, but they don't have DWGs. If they had DWGs, we could go in and, uh, you know, actually edit the DWG mm -hmm. and then replot it. But that's just one of the creative ways that we've been able to go in and retrofit and add on uh, components and systems and not have to completely redo their drawing set just to get that put in. Absolutely. No, I, I think that this, this has been a very interesting discussion. Um, I, I know we're all interested to continue this discussion and to, to have and talk about it all month long. Uh, but I, I want to talk a little bit about the change of life giveaway, right? So you're doing a change of life giveaway. This will be the, the fourth giveaway. Can you tell everyone maybe a little bit of the premise of the change of life giveaway and what you guys are doing for this, uh, this month, this quarter? Yeah, so the premise of the Change of Life giveaway is to give somebody who is not maybe on a formal education track to be a controls engineer or technician the opportunity to get their hands on the hardware. Uh, maybe they're a programmer type. Maybe they're an electrician who wants to get into controls. Um, you know, they may come from a completely different background and they just want to get into this field. This gives them the opportunity to get their hands on some hardware and some software to tinker from the comfort of their apartment or their home in their free time. And really just gives them a leg up. I mean, everybody's not the same. I'm a visual learner. I got to get my hands on it. That's how I learned, right? So I know there's a lot of people out there like that. And that's really what this giveaway is about, is giving those kinds of learners the ability and other kinds of learners the ability to get their hands on the hardware, which gives you nothing but excitement and kind of invigorates your curiosity on the subject. And uh, you really get to see things flashing and moving and you could, you know, use an HMI and actually download a program and watch things work because it's a little different when you're simulating on your PC or maybe if you don't have a simulator, if you're just writing the logic and you're imagining how it's supposed to work. So yeah. that's the premise of it. Uh, what we're going to be giving away, uh, we're going to be putting that on the website uh, later today. It's going to be probably, I believe it's a micro 820 Mm -hmm. with a panel view 800. Um, Ooh, nice. So that is going to be an HMI PLC combo uh, that uh, uh, some very lucky person is going to get their hands on to play with in their house. Now we gave away a PLC HMI combo on the first round and it was actually a Siemens uh, brand. Uh, but being in the United States, uh, our sorry, North America, United States, our primary platform is Alan Bradley. So I think that would set somebody up for success going into a maintenance position, supporting this kind of equipment, or even going into a controls technician position, supporting equipment like that. 
No, absolutely. I, I think it's very exciting. Um, I know, I, I forget the gentleman who won the first one, but I know he won the first one and he leveraged that and got a job fairly quickly uh, within industry. I don't remember who won the second one, but I think it was Brian Cox, who may or may not be live here, but but is friend of the show. Uh, he won the third one, which was, I he believe, did. another Siemens PLC. Uh, so I, I think so it's amazing. Drive. Yeah, with, with the servo drive. So I think it's amazing to be able to see these PLCs going out to people and them uh, actually going ahead and utilize them. So as you guys listen for the rest of the month and every other time Preston runs a change of life giveaway, you'll hear me ask for people uh, either if you're young in your career or looking to get into the industry to go ahead and do it. I don't think the goal is to have someone who could in theory go buy an $800 or $1,000 PLC uh, mm-hmm. go win the PLC. I think the goal is to, to change someone's life, which is which is amazing. What, what are your thoughts on it, Vlad? Do you have a micro well, I was gonna uh, sign up until you behind said you? That. I was gonna... <laughs> no, yeah, I do have uh, two of them. I believe this is like an eight. Okay. I think this is the eight fifty on top. Of okay. It, so there's two of them. So it's it's yeah, similar so, so form factors. We can reject. We, we can reject Vlad's application, Preston. You you can go through and just like blacklist uh, email addresses, right? Like if anyone yeah, has, yeah, yeah if, if anyone has two of them hanging in the wall behind them, in addition to about fifteen thousand other PLCs, uh, they they don't get to uh, they, they don't get to sign up. But no, that's amazing. So uh, when Preston goes and launches that. Um, we will absolutely go ahead and make sure to, uh, to send out links and put links with all of this. Um, and then I guess the question for Vlad. So on the micro side, um, do you guys at Solus PLC have a, a micro? I have a course based around a micro something. Uh, no, we do not, Dave. So this is something that uh, me and Tim Wilborn disagreed on a little bit. And but but I mean, <laughs> you know, like to be reasonable. So the Micro 800 platform, along with the PLC, yeah. uh, with the HMI that Preston's giving away works on uh, CCW, right? Connected Components Workbench, which offers like a free license for programming. Yeah. Uh, my kind of uh, philosophy is maybe approaching it from yeah. like an RS Logics 500 standpoint. And again, yeah. it's because as I've, I've spoken to Tim about this and I just don't have enough experience on uh, CCW, but again, it's just as capable of a tool. And I think it's going to be more than adequate for you to learn PLC programming and HMI development on. It's uh, it's just a slightly different platform than RS Logics 500 than RS Logics uh, 5000. So at this point, we do not have anything, and I would refer to uh, to Tim. He has quite a few videos on uh, CCW on his website, YouTube channel, and uh, like social media. No, that's awesome. So we we when that goes live, we'll, we'll link the appropriate videos to Tim. Tim is currently in the chat. Um, so, so we'll see if Tim has, uh, has particular thoughts on that and he will be here the 20th. Uh, we're going to have a conversation with Tim. Um, I don't know if we're going to grill him or he's going to grill us. It, it always goes one way or the other. Uh, maybe, maybe Amber will, uh, will join as well as, uh, at some point, but no, so I, I think that that is, I think that that, that is amazing. Um, what, what you're doing there, Preston. Um, I look forward to kind of continuing to see the change your life giveaway continue and hopefully there will be more opportunity to potentially expand it beyond just uh, just the once a quarter that you guys are so graciously uh, sponsoring, uh, at least mostly internally, and going ahead and promoting. Uh, speaking of, we have some people to thank. Um, actually, the person that we need to thank is sitting here, but I'm going to let Vlad play the sound, and then uh, th- then we're going to go read some uh, some copy to thank you. You there do your thing, Preston. Perfect. Uh, slow quotes. 
no documentation, horrible communication, and shoddy support. Does this sound like your current systems integrator or retrofit vendor? Wow, that, that, that's a really good intro there, Preston. Um, look no further than Envision Automation and Controls. Envision Automation and Controls addresses these problems as they provide accurate quotes in record time, one to three days for most projects, as well as world-class documentation and support that we quite literally just talked about. You can expect quality in everything they do from discovery to delivery. Ray says, Envision hit the ground running on our first project together. The rapid quotes, documentation, and clear communications are what makes it easy for me to keep choosing Envision Automation and Controls. Uh, so please vision envisions.io, uh, envision with an S.io for more information to get a rapid quote. You can email sales at envisions.io or give them a call at 812-618-5089. Um, we'll put all of that information in the chat so you guys can contact Preston. You guys can also contact Preston by, by dropping him a note here on, on LinkedIn. Uh, their, their message, their, their mission is to bring automation and controls into the future of the future, into the present, one solution at a time. Their motto, you envision it, we build it. And I'd like to, you just to move your hand down, Preston, because for the first time I noticed on your polo, you guys actually have it uh, embroidered in there, which is, uh, yeah. I like it. I, I love the touch. Uh, of all the times <laughs> I've you. seen you in similar shirts, I have yet to I've yet to see that slightly below the logo. So so that's amazing. But no, thank you, Preston and Envision, for sponsoring the theme, for being great members of the community, and, uh, and for all your continued support in this. Uh, Vlad, what are your thoughts? I, I feel like we, we still have to grow Preston a little bit because we took some time talking about some amazing giveaways that we were doing. So uh, what's next on the docket? Well, I want to dive into some of the financial aspects of uh, retrofits, you know, and maybe going back to some of our original conversation on figuring out when to do a retrofit from like a technical standpoint. I'm curious, like, you know, your thoughts about figuring out when it makes sense from a financial standpoint to do a retrofit. And maybe, again, I'll provide a perspective to which we talked about a little bit off stream, but I've been in a scenario where, you know, the engineering team has started to purchase it could be PLC-5s nowadays, but at the time it was like Cognex Vision Systems, which were called like DVTs, right? And so mm -hmm. at one point you're like, well, the system is almost exponentially going up in price for those who are maybe unfamiliar with the, with the market of automation equipment. But as it becomes obsolete, it starts to kind of like trend upwards, right? Like so for the years to come. So I'm wondering if you have a maybe a way to say this is the trigger moment, which probably should be before we start buying parts on eBay, but it's still, you know, there's kind of that, like, that buffer <laughs> period. So how do you evaluate from a financial standpoint when it makes sense to uh, to retrofit a piece of machinery, an entire line, maybe like some hardware? And again, maybe tying that in also to the general availability of the different platforms. Yeah, so... That's a pretty easy calculation that you can run with the customer to understand the ROI of putting in a new product and retrofitting out that old product. Um, you know, there are some pretty critical companies that produce, uh, for example, aluminum globally. Uh, I've been in a few plants that produce aluminum globally. And uh, you'd be surprised they're running on very, very old equipment, probably, you know, a PLC-5 um, and older. So, you know, you go in there and they have some of the biggest stockpiles of those components refurbed and open new box that they could find across the globe. Okay. And so what they're doing, they're just insistently band-aiding it or plugging the hole, whatever you want to call it. And uh, you know, eventually that runs out. 
right? You eventually lose the people that have the expertise on those components as they retire, and you eventually start losing that stock as it starts to disappear from online uh, MRO suppliers and otherwise. So it's a pretty easy um, convincer to, to pull up the numbers and say, well, if you were to lose any of that hardware that you're buying surplus or refurbing, if you were to lose that permanently, here is what it would be per hour, per day, per week, per month that you're down. Uh, so downtime obviously is a huge thing. So you're losing production. So to say, well, guys, it's going to cost X for us to do this and it's going to pay itself back in this amount of time. It's usually a very clear indicator, but uh, they always come back uh, with most uh, applications that are really critical and they go, well, we trust you. We know you can get it done, but we want to make sure that we can get this done. And we want to make sure that it's going to work because we sure hate to go through the process of retrofitting this to get something new only for it to come back and bite us and us continue to stay down as we debug it when it should have been as much as much as possible debugged and commissioned offsite, right? Proven out, engineered, and put together offsite. So that's one of the biggest uh, pushers and clear indicators. As far as the spare parts thing, uh, it, it's very difficult to find spare parts right now um, because that's what everybody's buying to sometimes supplement some of their builds. They're finding spare parts that are maybe sealed or they're finding parts that were, you know, unsealed, but, you know, very lightly used. Um, you know, some of these people are, you know, they're giving out one and two year warranties on this stuff uh, uh, from, from the, the MRO supplier and the vendors are able to complete their equipment or complete their job and, and get it on to the next one because every day, every week, every month that you're uh, extending that debt on uh, those parts that you're waiting on, right? Most customers are net 30. Well, for, for integrators and, and companies like ours, we're holding on to that debt for quite a long time. And yep. so what you, what you find is a lot of smaller integrators, especially actually larger ones as well, they're getting their hands on whatever they can. And if they can get uh, a comparable product new, it's just got a better lead time. Maybe it's through a different manufacturer. <clears throat> they're doing that. Even if it takes a little bit of development time to swap how they do things, they're doing that. So, but it is a, as far as a financial indicator of, or sorry, a financial uh, uh, point that convinces the customer the best is probably showing them what it would look like if they did go down as a result of not having uh, modernized equipment and not being able to get that spare part. And I'm curious, you know, to your last point, Preston, on what we're going to see in the years to come based on, you know, I would say like in the current cycle and, the lack of components building these Frankenstein, I would say, builds, or even, you know, going from not mentioning vendors from vendor A to vendor B with a certain different control system in a couple of years when vendor A equipment is now available and can be purchased, are they going to retrofit, you know, these, I would say, like off-norm builds to what their standard is? And again, I think like there the calculation and like the ROI might be different, but there's something to be said about standardizing uh, when it comes to retrofits as well, right? Because I think if you have very old machines, machine from, machines from like different decades, machines from even like different vendors, retrofitting them to per se like fit a certain standard that you're looking for. And again, we, we can, we'll dive into maybe like the performance metrics as well as like other features in a moment, but just to have 
one set of, let's say, components and parts that your team is able to support uh, is certainly valuable, at least uh, from my experience. You know, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and as far as the Frankenstein stuff, you know, there's <clears throat> companies like ours, we have a lot of flexibility. Um, you know, more often than not, uh, the customer is totally okay with us uh, specking out whatever brand, whatever hardware we'd like to use to get the job done properly. Uh, there may be a few things that are very strict as far as protocol, uh, sorry, communications protocol so that they can talk to the machine um, and aggregate data from that machine. Uh, but for us, it's, it's more flexible and makes our life much easier going through what we're going through with the supply chain issues. If you were a company that produced machines with nothing but Siemens hardware, and that's what you were known for, and you uh, retrofitted all of these machines you built decades ago, that, yeah, you might be in a bit of a pinch, you know, uh, you're waiting a very long time for those components. So uh, for us, we're lucky in that way that we're not tied to uh, a specific brand or a specific uh, collection of brands. I'm, I'm curious, you know, based on that, again, like last comment, are you seeing, so again, I would say like end users that come to you and envision for a specific build and let's say you're unable to get, let's say again, vendor A components and they're like, okay, let's put this together with vendor B components in place today, are you seeing them use that as a permanent solution or do they maybe have a contract where once vendor A equipment is available, you kind of go back and, you know, replace those components accordingly? Like, what are your thoughts? And I would say like just in general perspective on going with different vendors during the pandemic, are, are you seeing them putting those in as permanent builds or are you seeing them wanting to still go back to what the original specification was? So far in our experience, we're seeing those go in as permanent builds. Um, haven't had a whole lot of people come back and say, well, we're going to want to replace that later on to this. Uh, right now, I think they're happy they can get what they get. They, uh, they're they paying for what they're getting. And I think that as long as it's reliable, it's warranted, and it's supported by Envision, I think that they're more than glad to keep it as a permanent solution. Um, at least that's how it's been going for us and our customers up until now. We'll see in a couple of uh, years. Go ahead, Dave. Sorry. I, I was going to yeah, say, probably. I, I find it an interesting time back to Preston's kind of PLC five uh, example. So I, I know a company who within the last, you know, weeks or months per, had to, the, their process, the processor unit on their PLC five died. Right. And obviously yeah. there are no PLC fives left. Um, there, there are, I think we're to the point of there are no like actually like certified rebuilt or, uh, or any of those PL. So they, they went on eBay and I think they spent like $50,000 on just a PLC five processor. Um, I went to look, uh, recently and you, you can buy them in like the 20 or $30,000 price range. But, uh, but Preston, my first remark is before any supply chain issues, we could go like rebuild a whole control system with either a compact or a control logics, both of which are behind flat, I believe, um, for 50 grand, like for like for many of them, uh, we, we could go do a complete new rebuild for 50 grand. It's like, uh, and when we talk about retrofits, I think we'll get a little bit into it uh, later in the theme. But I also see, especially like software companies, uh, especially software companies that were big in like the 90s and early 2000s. And now the technical debt has come due and they want two or three or $500,000 to stay new on just software licenses when you can turn around and be like, hey, I could retrofit and completely rebuild a system for less than half a million dollars easily. So I, I think it's interesting. 
And I think that it will be an interesting precipice to see if it forces people off of either like known obsolete hardware or virtually obsolete software and pushes them into the future, uh, which I think kind of brings up the, the next point is like, what do you envision with the future? And it's really hard not to make envision puns this whole show. So everyone yeah. will have to everyone will have to forgive me. But what do you envision the future of modernization to uh, to look like either in your neck of the woods or market wide? Well, um, you know, we've seen a massive uptick just in the last couple of years on retrofits. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, a an entire generation of control systems and, and machines themselves are, you know, basically retiring. They're, they're like, Hey guys, we, we put in our 40, we're out. Uh, you know, if you want us to keep going, you got to give us some new shiny boots, a nice hat. And uh, I don't know, yeah. give me a, give me a better pay raise, something like that. Right. So I think you're going to see a massive wave. Uh, you know, I, I mean, and there has to be because you have a lot of equipment out there that's produced in these generational waves of of systems, right? Mm-hmm. And major generational waves of system, yep. uh, systems. I mean, how long was the PLC five uh, distributed, right? For years and years and years and years. Mm-hmm. And I think that as those uh, pieces of equipment are evaluated and they, they, you know, turn from an asset into a liability. Okay. So I think you're going to see a lot more equipment uh, that's aging out, move from an asset into a liability. And those customers are looking for someone who can reliably come in and retrofit that or reliably redo that equipment to bring it into a modern standard uh, so that they can do more things with it, right? They're going to be able to get a better piece of equipment functionally. They have Mm -hmm. uptime reliability. They're also going to have data aggregation. They're also going to have connectivity. So there's so many advantages um, to why it needs to happen. And at this point in time with the industry 4.0 wave, I think you're going to see it happen. And I think that's another thing pushing machine modernization or, and or retrofitting uh, is industry 4.0 because people are looking around at all these quote dumb machines that aren't connected and can't give them any data value. They just give them production value, but data value is pretty equally important at some time uh, in some junctures, right? Uh, knowing often why your equipment is acting the way it's acting. Okay. So that we can repair it and keep production running, knowing what you're actually producing, not, checking it off of a piece of paper and a clipboard, understanding why you're producing what you're, or how, sorry, why, uh, what, what quantities and what quality that you're producing. So yeah, I think that's a big push for why people will want to retrofit and modernize their, their existing equipment. I, I like that. I think that's very good. So we have a question uh, from from Nikki that I think fits very well with uh, the future, Preston. Uh, She'd like to know is, do you see this as a push for brands to standardize for the sake of helping the industry grow? Or do you think they'll keep trying uh, to keep their more? Okay. So basically the the question is kind of like a Rockwell versus Siemens thing, right? So one architecture versus another architecture. Is that the question basically? Yeah, I think more. Do you do you imagine that we're going to see industry standards across the board, so it's easier to plug and play, or do you yeah. think we're going to continue to have two or three or four giants say this is the way we do it? I want you to continue to kind of purchase my vertical. I don't think so. I don't think it's going to stay that way forever. Um, naturally, it can't. Okay, mm-hmm. um, everybody remembers when personal computers became a thing. Okay. You did. You had these extreme verticals, right? You had IBM, Microsoft, and Apple, right? With the the big three uh, personal computer brands at the time. 
And there was no, but really before the internet, there was no interoperability where they could standardize and you, you had to use Apple's mouse. You had to use their keyboard. You had to use their, you know, whatever you were using, right? Yep. Eventually, because of, uh, now I know it's a bit of a different demographic, right? Personal computers mm-hmm. is huge. I mean, billions of people on the planet and a ton of those people use computers. Not a ton of people use machines, okay? Not a ton of mm-hmm. people buy those machines. So I understand that quantity uh, of a demand is what's going to help push that uh, standardization and push everything to go to one standard uh, or an open standard, so to speak. Yep. I think it will anyway. Here's why I think it will. I think there's a ton of money. I couldn't even remotely give you a number, but I think there's a ton of money lost in that, right? Where, yeah. oh my gosh, we're forced to go with this. I mean, you do have some standards like Ethernet IP, like communication protocols, right? You can, you can get a lot done there, but I think that's just, you know, kind of the beginning of what you're going to see from uh, standardization and interoperability. Uh, I made a post, was it today or yesterday, about Codasys. Mm-hmm. I don't know a whole lot about it, except for I do know it's incredibly flexible and open. Yeah. Um, and, and we're beginning to, to run some trials with Codasys and House and Envision and try some new things and look at mm-hmm. some new uh, applications for it. But looking at Codasys, they're the odd one out. Uh, you know, from Rockwell or Siemens, or yeah. they are the odd one out. Now, there's some PLC brands using Codasys runtime, mm-hmm. right? That's... Yep. But that's great. And those brands are benefiting from that, I think. Uh, you know, at least I believe they would be benefiting from that. Mm-hmm. So, yes, I think I think the industry will become more standardized. Long uh, answer short. <laughs> no, so I, uh, I like that. So I about a year ago uh, was, was working with a company or a couple of companies and came across this. I mean, it, it's super European, right? So it started in Europe. Uh, it's called MTP. So module type package which is basically the concept of I can go kind of plug and play, right? So if I can't get a VFD or if I can't, like, like we, we have standardized connectors. I think we've standardized, you know, at least some amount of data flow. And so there are some fairly large companies. So I know Phoenix Contact is part of it. I know Siemens is talking about it. I know, I think ABB, I think I saw ABB and Emerson as part of it, uh, Copa Data. I know there were a handful of other, again, at least mostly European companies. I don't know where like the Rockwell and I don't know how involved like the Siemens are in the world. But I think that if I can go like take one piece and if I can't go buy it from my distributor, I don't have it on the shelf. If I can go put, you know, a sensor or something else and it still works as plug and play as anything in this industry works. I think that that is a step forward. I am not sure that we're ever going to see people kind of tear down their, their software ecosystems and their walls and, and go to something like Codasys, yeah. at least in our lifetimes, right? Like I think that that would have to be a complete rebuild of everything. And then you also run into the issues of, well, you run into the issues of there are so few people currently very good at any of the technologies of the world. And now you need them to be like legacy technology people, but you also need them to like understand this brand new technology that we've now merged with a dozen other technologies. So I think it would be very difficult. I think if we could take hardware and have it as an MTP, as a plug and play, for for me, that that is an exciting step towards what I hope the future holds. What what are your thoughts on the future, Vlad? I mean, I would agree. I think there's going to be better standards that develop. I think that we're headed in the direction that uh, Preston described, right? I think that um, I would say end users are going to realize the power of some of these systems. But I would also 
you know, maybe take the, not necessarily the negative, but the cautious side. And I think, uh, you know, Tim talked to us about this quite a bit, where if you are, I would say, like on the cutting edge, right? Like you're trying to innovate, you're trying mm-hmm. to kind of push the envelope, you run the risk of, I would say, like tripping and falling over in the sense that there's a lot that goes into these systems besides just the technology, right? It's mm-hmm. um, it, You need to have, I think, like very competent people who understand it well, but you also need to be able to maintain it and kind of long-term support all these, like I would say, again, it, it's changing so quick from a, maybe not code assist side, right? But also mm-hmm. just uh, being able to put anything on your control systems. And so with that, uh, as they say, like with great power comes great responsibility, right? And then it's like, who yep. wrote my library for this specific driver? And it's some, you know, yes. it could be the OEM or it could be some third party. And then who wrote the driver for my, again, like safety circuits? And it could be like XYZ person. So you start, you start having a lot of different cogs in your system, so to speak. So I would caution, I would say to maybe summarize my point, I'm positively optimistic. I think we're headed that way. But I don't think that all the details are there yet for being very easy, easily able to switch, you know, from the current, let's say, like Rockwell or Siemens installation into like a Codasys or just like a pure Linux-based uh, control. And there, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of components there. But I I think it will come. I think with time we will get there. Well, I, and to to further add to that, I I think that just like anything, right? So. Ethernet became a standard because a group of people came together and created that standard and made yep. it so. They did the same thing with IEC languages. They've done the same thing with communication protocols like Ethernet IP, Modbus, TCP, uh, Profinet, et cetera. I think you're going to have that. You're going to have these organizations, these associations that have standardized and pushed this standard. And really, that's the only way you're going to get that to come through. And I could only dream of the day that we have these MTPs that Dave just described. I've not heard that acronym before. I love it. Um, the idea to, to create your control systems uh, more modular and less brand specific would be phenomenal. I think you're right about the software, Dave. I think that, uh, uh, and by the way, I love Rockwell. I love Siemens. There's, I have nothing against these brands, but I think that they are protecting their own interests when they keep these software barriers up because it really just keeps customers coming back to their platform. I totally understand that. Um, you know, it's kind of like a Windows versus Apple user, right? You know, Windows guys, they love that stuff because they can go in there and, uh, you know, get really deep into the ecosystem and the software of Microsoft and tweak with it, do certain things. Whereas you go to Apple, here you go, this is what you got, deal with it, you like it or not, don't buy it, we don't care. <laughs> it's supposed to work great. If you don't want it, we, we don't care. So you're, I think you're always going to have technological camps. I think you're always going to have technological uh, companies uh, protecting those camps and their, their self-interests. Why wouldn't they? They're, they're there to provide employment, provide an ecosystem for growth and for revenue. So I totally understand it, but I do think we need better interoperability between uh, different control brands and systems. And I think, you know, I mean, again, I don't know much about Codasys, but it looks like such a great platform to kick that kind of stuff off. But just like you mentioned, where was that driver created? Who created that driver? So you start getting into it, but it's worked out well for consumer electronics. Uh, electronics, it's worked out well uh, for IoT in the consumer field uh, of you know working off of these third-party drivers and working together as a collective to build these massive GitHub repos to just build something really quite amazing and cool. 
Absolutely. I, uh, I feel the need to play like slightly devil's advocate on, on two points, Preston. So, so yep. one, you, you talked about the folks that came around and made Ethernet. Um, I mean, I guess one, Benson talked about how they were part of Benson from, from Opto 22 uh, at the beginning of the year, talked about how they were part of kind of the creation of, uh, of basically the entirety of, of Ethernet um, and how that transformed uh, this. Uh, I would kind of say to, to that point, Preston, if, if people actually want to have more cross collaboration between brands, if people actually want, you know, the ISAs and the, uh, and the other large organizations to come build standards that are going to do that, it's basically the people that are talking now, it's the people that are listening to this show and shows like this, who at some point are going to say, I'm going to spend a part of the next 10 or 20 years of my life because this is this is what we want to build. Uh, and if that is what people want to build, I think that this is a conversation that we absolutely, absolutely need to have more of. And we need to find ways in order to make automation maybe more open, but certainly easier for people to, uh, to come in to learn. And we're going to push is going to come to shove very quickly um, in this community in in the next five to 10 years. And then beyond that, I would say that as nice as it is to have, you know, four or five or six different brands and a bunch of different controllers, because that's what I can get that that always goes against the I can standardize on one or two PLCs from a brand and then I can have one or two PLCs and one or two sets of IO. Um, on my shelf so that when I do need a spare part, I don't have to say, okay, which one of it, which one of the 24 different types of PLCs broke this time? And do I have one on my shelf or which vendor has that? And do they have one on their shelf? So I, I many times in my career have helped standardize on PLCs, right? And there are lots of good reasons to standardize on PLCs of one brand. And it almost doesn't matter what the brand is, as long as you standardize it, then the, then the cost function makes a lot more sense. And then the spare parts make a lot more sense. And if you guys listened to last week, when Vlad and I rambled on, you'll know my feeling towards universal IO. And I feel like we should have universal IO so that we can just have one IO skew and we can basically do do the exact same thing but uh i i'm excited as to uh, as to where the future lies and speaking of future preston um this is kind of the point of the show where we ask about some career advice and i like to joke half the time vlad wants to know his own career advice but i think that you since the last time we talked maybe a year ago have hired three or four people you guys have grown significantly you've done a bunch of these change life giveaways i think that between that and your fairly unique background of coming in with a mentor and basically learning everything, you have a unique kind of background to give people some career advice. So I get, I guess two career advices, uh, Preston. One, do you have some career advice for early to mid, uh, maybe people who either want to get into the industry or are looking to grow and expand their knowledge? Yes. Well, I'm going to make a couple of plugs. Solus PLC, TW Controls, and uh, Paul, oh my gosh, I'm trying to Paul Lynn, last Dojo, PLCDojo.com. Those are the best places to start, okay? Um, otherwise, get into a position nearby your field that you're trying to land in. So a maintenance position is a great one. In fact, uh, the gentleman we just hired came from a maintenance position. Uh, he went from a, I think his first job out of high school was at a uh, electronics parts distributor. Uh, you know, they sell things like power supplies and terminals and stuff. And uh, he moved from there to a maintenance uh, position at a large global plastics company. And then he 
left there to come to Envision as a controls technician. And in that maintenance position there, he got to go online with PLCs, alter code, troubleshoot electrical uh, cabinets and enclosures. And he learned a lot of what he needed to learn to get started here. And uh, and we're taking him uh, from there and taking him skyward, right? So I would say get into a position nearest to what you're trying to be in, uh, number one. And if you're if you're midway through it, look for an employer like Envision. There's not a ton of them that will take a chance without your degree, but they're out there. And I think that you definitely need to proactively reach out to those kinds of small businesses that will take the time and attention to see the potential in you, to see uh, that you have a great learning attitude and that you're really going to do wonderful things, uh, you know, not only for the company that you're going to work with, uh, but also for yourself. I like that. I, uh, I like that Preston. And the second piece of career advice I'm going to ask is you started a business three, two and a half, three years ago. Uh, if someone is looking to start a control systems integrator or a company that does retrofits or service calls, do you have a piece of career advice for them? Uh, maybe don't start one in the general Indianapolis area because you'd run up against Preston, but, uh, but what, what would some career advice look like for those people? Well, I'll tell you what, uh, you know, when I first started, it was just myself and I was a technician, right? I, I wasn't a business owner. Sure. I had the LLC title, but you're not really a, a business owner. You're more of, the guy that does everything. So yep. you're, or the gal, okay. Um, you're basically a technician and you're serving your customers uh, on a job by job or hourly basis. Uh, I think an hourly basis is a great way to get start for, uh, started for some people. Uh, if you've made a great name for yourself at the employer that you at, you may end up working for them. Uh, as a contractor, you may end up working for a plethora of the contacts that you've made over a number of years working for different manufacturing companies. And I think that's a great way to start is build those relationships up uh, because they're going to come in handy. Uh, if you don't yep. have the relationships, if you're not very collaborative, if you're not very organized, if you're not uh, passionate about what you do, and if you're not driven about what you do, uh, it, you know, you may want to, to practice some self-awareness and really look in the mirror and say, is this worth it for me? Because Starting your own business is more than just doing the work. It's definitely more than just going out and getting it done. So um, I think, you know, being an independent contractor and working for yourself is, is a wonderful thing. That's a wonderful thing. You can live a great life doing that. Uh, in fact, probably one of the, probably one of the most stress-free lives because you could pick your schedule and take a lot of time off. And I mean, look at Dave, he gets to travel around and, and spend a wonderful time in beautiful places. You have mm-hmm. a lot of flexibility. Uh, the, the, I will say, if you're going to start a controls integration or systems integration business, uh, know what you want out of the gate and put your eyes on that. You know, if you want an organization uh, more than just yourself, then you're going to want to practice some self-awareness and set your eyes on that and know really what you want to get out of it. If you're going to be a one-man show, you're going to have a great time at it. Um, but ultimately, you, most people will not know how they're going to fare until they go and jump into it. But again, you got to jump into it with, uh, well, number one, eyes wide open. Uh, don't, <laughs> uh, don't uh, fool yourself. It's not going to be easy. Even a one man show is not always that easy in, in a sense, but uh, number two, build those relationships. Uh, you, you really are going to have a hard time stepping out if you haven't built strong relationships with a lot of people that really trust your judgment and your skill set. Absolutely. I think that's great advice, uh, especially the self-awareness. 
I will make the comment that Shane uh, Dietrich on episode 54 talked very much about self-awareness and specifically finding people. If you're going to expand beyond the one man show, the next person you hire should be basically the person that fills in all of your gaps, right? Don't hire someone that looks like you hire someone to do all of the things that you're either not good at or or don't want to do. And I think that that's also important. Uh, What are your thoughts on that Flav? I was going to joke, try not to do everything that you're not good at by yourself. So yes, I, I like your last point. Like no, I, I like that. So, so that, that's perfect. So Preston, the last time you were here, we asked you for a book recommendation. It took Vlad almost a year to start the E-Myth Revisited and 50 pages in, it's nearly changed his life. So maybe Vlad pays a little bit more attention to this book recommendation, but uh, I, know, I know you gave out some recommendations. Do you have a book and or some content recommendations uh, that you'd like to shout out? Yeah, I believe so. Uh, not No particular book recommendations. Um, you know, I have been spending a lot of my time reading your content, right? Everybody that we follow on LinkedIn. Um, it's probably some of the best content. Number one, it's real. It's first person view. And, uh, you know, you really get a good idea and you can put your finger on the pulse of our community by just following and reacting and, and, and integrating yourself in this community on LinkedIn and, and a few other uh, social media platforms. Yep. But that's probably my biggest recommendation is Follow Manufacturing Hub, follow Solos PLC, shameless plug, I don't care, uh, uh, and follow Envision, follow, you're welcome, yep. follow PLC Dojo, get, yep. you know, get these guys added. And also, you really want to start following some of the, the you know, uh, brilliant people way smarter than me on here. Uh, you know, Bobby Cole from Think PLC is just mm-hmm. a brilliant guy. Uh, every time I've talked to him, and he's so sincere, okay? But uh, get on there, follow all these very, very intelligent, sincere people, and you're going you're gonna to pick up more knowledge from some of the first person views that they put out and maybe reading a book, uh, at least from specific standpoints, right? Yep. It's great to see that they put out content around the things that we're doing every day. Um, books are great. If you can memorize uh, the technical stuff, if you're reading books that are more related to methodology and, and how we do things, that's fine too. I read quite a bit of that, but that's probably my recommendation this time around is really start getting integrated with the LinkedIn community and start adding some of the people that you see uh, uh, posting and commenting on this chat. I'll tell you a, a great up and comer that you should definitely follow is Caleb Travis uh, and, nope. and uh, Brennan. Uh, what's his last name? Is it Duggar? Drugger? Duggar? Yes. I think it's Brennan Duggar. You know who you're talking about. Uh, blue, blue collar automation. Great yep. guy. Yep. Uh, and, and Caleb is also one of the most sincere people you'll ever have a conversation mm-hmm. with. So I would recommend following those, those people. Absolutely. I, I think all of those are great recommendations. Um, I will say Vlad, I, Preston, everyone on here is generally very happy to connect uh, with anyone. Um, I will also say that Caleb and LEG are going to be on next week uh, on Manufacturing Hub. So you guys can get some firsthand thoughts and recommendations from them. And I think that that those are all very good places to, uh, to chat with people, to understand what's going on in the community and everything along those lines, Preston. Um, and, and we have reached the, the last question. Um, I know Vlad's got a thousand more, but we are way over time. Uh, once again, to the sure. surprise of no one. But the last question is, Preston, is, is who should reach out to you? Who do you want to connect with? Uh, who do you help? Uh, who, who, sh- who should reach out to you? Yeah, so uh, you know, any industrial company looking to retrofit equipment or do cons- uh, control systems mm-hmm. uh, upgrades or integration, uh, we also design and build equipment. Uh, in fact, we're working on many large projects at the moment for material handling in particular, 
uh, where we're doing conveyor uh, conveyance of material and tracking and, and sorting and such like that. But uh, yeah, you know, we do electrical drawings, panel fabrication, PLC, uh, HMI upgrades, mechanical uh, design and fabrication, as well as CNC machining. So we do turnkey automation and systems integration. So yeah, if you're if you're a, a production facility or a manufacturer looking to improve your processes or you know get a better third bid that can give you proper documentation and turn quotes around much quicker, give us a call. That's who we're I looking for. So absolutely. Russell, I love let me that. throw in Dave, I was just gonna throw in maybe like a, a curveball on that. Like, is there anything on the hiring side? Maybe you're looking for engineers, technicians, maybe even, you know, like interns graduating maybe in a year or so in Again, maybe on the technical side or maybe marketing, sales, anything like that, or foreseeing, again, a, a hiring spree in the coming months, years. Thoughts on, on that, maybe? Yeah, actually, uh, you kind of hit the nail on the head there. We're going to be putting out a position pretty soon for an estimator. Um, we're also working on streamlining that process as well. So when we say one to three days for most projects, we're referring to, uh, you know, uh, retrofit projects uh, that are, you know, medium-sized projects, not uh, – entire lines or anything like that. But uh, most projects you're going to call us in for uh, that uh, can be done in the span of a week. Uh, we're going to be able to turn that around in a couple of days for you. But yeah, it's actually uh, an estimator is who we're looking to bring it on next. Um, because as Envision grows, uh, I mean, I'm still one of the primary sales associates for the company. We also need somebody to fill that role of estimation that has good experience, understands the work that we do and can learn the work that we do to, uh, to put out proper uh, proposals and estimations. Gotcha. Awesome. Absolutely. I think it's exciting, Preston. I am sure that we will have you back on at some point again, uh, assumably within the year for something. And uh, we are, we are buckled in waiting to see how large Envision has become um, at that point. Uh, but no, we want to thank Preston. We want to thank everyone for coming and hanging out with us and listening to us. If you're listening to us on the podcast platforms, if you're listening to us on the podcast platforms, I have remembered once again this month to please ask you to go rate us five stars and give us a thumbs up and connect with all of us and all of those things that semi-professional podcasters that have put out like 60 episodes uh, sh should say. So uh, that, uh, that allows me to say that. Uh, thank you to Preston and Envision uh, Automation and Controls for sponsoring this theme uh, and machine modernization that we're going to talk about all month long. Uh, we will see everyone uh, next Wednesday at about five o'clock East Coast time live on LinkedIn and YouTube and Twitch and Facebook. Uh, if you can stream there, we're, we're basically there. And if we're not there, don't tell Vlad because he wants to put us there. Uh, beyond that, we'll be in your earbuds uh, every Thursday uh, sometime late morning, early afternoon. And until next week, we'll see you guys all soon. Thank you. Thank you, Preston. Bye -bye. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Bye-bye. Have a great day.